Hi, everybody. I'm Oliver Roth, a Broadway producer at O. Henry Productions. You're listening to a very special episode of the O. Henry Report, the podcast by Broadway World, which gives you a one-of-a-kind look inside the business of Broadway. In the report, we pull back the curtain on the biggest stories, issues, and trends in the industry. This week, we're talking about the 2018 Tony Awards. On Tuesday morning, Leslie Odom Jr. and Catherine McPhee announced the 125 nominees across 26 categories. As you may or may not know, I'm a little obsessed with the Tony Awards, and for the past four years, I have followed these campaigns closely using a combination of my own analysis of the current campaign and data from the last 25 years to determine the likelihood that any given nominee will win the award. To help me sort through the results of the nominations, we've got Broadway World reporter and co-producer of the O'Henry Report, Matt Timonini. Matt, why don't you get us started off? All right, Oliver, this is, you know, for a lot of us, the most happiest time of the year is uh, around the holidays. For you, it is this month, there's five weeks of Tony season. We are recording on Wednesday, just over 24 hours after the Tony nominations were announced. So, I know you're giddy and excited. So of everything that happened yesterday with all these nominations, as you've started to break them down, what was the one thing that stood out to you most? Whether it was a nomination, a group of nominations, a group of things that weren't nominated, any weird trends, what to you caught your eye the most? I think there are two big things that couldn't be that you couldn't not think or I could not think after the after the nominations were over. The first is that Frozen, which has sort of been in in the press recently, uh, uh, you know, about about ticketing and has had a bumpy ride for what what we all thought was going to be like a, a slam dunk huge Disney musical was really snubbed in uh, the nominations. It got a best musical nom, a best score nom and a best book nom and nothing else. And, you know, yeah, that was weird. It's really weird. First of all, I think um, it's very strange because having seen the show um, and and not having not necessarily thinking it to be the best thing that Disney's ever done. I simultaneously think it's undeniably true that there were some that that they were, um, you know, the costumes were were amazing. I thought I actually thought not that not that I'm actually an expert in this, but the sound design uh, to my ears was uh, cool with, you know, the sort of, I don't know, ice sounds go, going around the theater. Um, <laughs> yeah. How does ice sound? But they right. made it. They had a design that made you think, oh, yeah, that's an ice sound. Exactly. And and then also, you know, uh, they had two really, really good contenders for uh, lead actress. Um, mm. And it's funny, a lot of people, you know, I, I sort of um, uh, put up online on my blog, uh, as I see things and as the show, as the season goes on, I put up my guesses of, of where nominations will, will land and, and, um, and, and they move around. And so at some point in the year I, I had had, well, at the beginning of the year I had Casey Levy as a shoe in for lead actress in a musical because, you know, the person who plays Elsa, who is, has, you know, the, the biggest number in the Disney canon, um, should have been a shoe in. And then once a, we got a better picture of what the competition was, but B, you know, seeing the show and hearing the, the the what people were saying about the show, and realizing that actually of the two of them, Anna, who uh, Pat Patty Murin's role, is really more of the heart of that show. 
it became clear to me that maybe the person playing Elsa wasn't an automatic nomination. Um, and so uh, prior to nomination day, what, what I ended up having was uh, Patty as a, a, a pretty sure um, nomination on the bubble uh, and, and uh, Casey being a sort of dark horse contender only because the field was so packed and uh, to nominate both of them, they would have had to have snubbed uh, another another production completely. Well, it ended up being that Frozen was the production that was snubbed completely, with neither of them getting a nomination. What? So some might say, well, look, the the same thing happened at the Drama Desk nominations that uh, Frozen was snubbed out of, uh, you know, the Drama Desk nominations uh, down down the line. Uh, but generally, there are historically shows that perform really well in one and not well in the other. Uh, so the example that's most um, eminent in my mind is that American Psycho, I think two or three years ago, two seasons ago maybe, was the most nominated uh, show of I think the Drama Desk. Maybe it was the Outer Critics. I think it was the Drama Desks. And it walked away with uh, you know very few uh, nominations at the Tonys. Um, so y- this is something you see a lot, shows being uh, – productions in particular being ignored by one group and praised by another – and I was expecting just because of what Disney is to the community and because of the production and because of the artists involved in the production, whether or not you liked the production as a whole, that the Tony voters would would uh, be kinder to Frozen than the Drama Desk voters were. And as it turns out, clearly they weren't. Um, obviously, you can't be too upset walking away with the best production, you know, best best musical nomination, best score and best book. Um, but I think you got to be a little bit upset that some of the creatives down the line didn't get nods. I, I, I firmly believe that they were – that Frozen must have been uh, number you know six uh, most voted for thing in many of these categories. Uh, and unfortunately, that means they're off the ballot. But the reason I think we saw this is that if you look at the way these these break down – and we'll talk about this more later – but – the competition is very high in these individual awards in the in the awards where you're talking about an, a costume designer versus a costume designer or an actor you know, versus an actor. But in the best musical, best book and best score, you sort of had de facto nominations. Um, so it was easier for Frozen to squeeze in there and 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 they didn't. There weren't enough people competing with them so that they could that they were the sixth most you know voted for thing. Whereas I I feel like in other places there were. So I I think that's what happened. Yeah, I mean because I think a lot of the there there was only a, a certain number of new musicals this year, and when you start to figure that something like even if we're just looking at like best uh, score, you have to immediately then take out Prince of Broadway because it didn't have an original score. Um, so you know there it, it can, continues to limit the number of potential nominees for something like that or best book or best musical that they were already playing with an advantage that where when they start to combine the revival even though there's only three the revival musicals and the new musicals into categories whether that's performance or design there's a larger pool to choose from and they just kind of got elbowed out because they're you know one of the things i do at broadway world is keep an eye on the message board and everything that and something that people keep saying over and over on there is, oh, what a what a sorry season it was that, you know, there was nothing great. I mm-hmm. saw a lot of these shows and was thoroughly entertained by almost all of them. There was a couple right. that I did not care for um, in terms of musicals. But for the most part, I liked all of them. I enjoyed all of them. And, and so I think it really was, despite the fact that it didn't have a standout like Hamilton or Dear Evan Hansen or even Fun Home. Um, right. I thought it was a really 
good, enjoyable season with a lot of things to praise, even if it wasn't the cultural smash breakthrough transcendent pieces that we've seen in the last few years. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other, the other sort of two things to note on that is is first, and I think it was the times who said this yesterday, but I I believe there were the least number of eligible productions total this year for like a decade. So, so when people say, Oh, there was so, so little good stuff on i think what they're really saying is there was so few <laughs> so new productions in general right and that's a whole other problem that sort of uh, uh goes back to what we love talking about in terms mm-hmm. of just theater real estate and, and all that stuff but but i think that that's you know I, I don't think that certainly the proportion of good stuff uh you know out of the whole didn't change um, there were, I think there were just fewer things and there were also, you know, there's no doubt that this was the season of big brands in the musical category. Um, the second thing I just wanted to note is, uh, you know, cause you, it's not, it's not only that you add those three revivals when you get out of the best production categories, but when you look at, at these, uh, when you look at these, these shows, especially on the female side, which is where frozen had its advantage, there were so many, eligible uh actresses in many of the shows right so i I mean if you look at carousel get five one in each category and two in featured actress so so i have to 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 agree that the numbers you know and if we talk about just n just the number of eligible performers performances um it's it it might have made the general trends that we see every year at, at Tony season, just more pronounced, you know, yeah. the, the snubs were, were felt extra sharp. The, um, you know, the, the surprises felt extra surprise, yeah. extra surprising. And speaking about surprises, I think this, you know, I said that there were two things that I, that I came away with, uh, thinking. And the second thing was that angels in America being, uh, getting 11 nominations, uh, which is, I, I believe makes it the most, uh, nominated, uh, definitely revival, if not play, most nominated play in Broadway history. Broadway history, which is fascinating because Harry Potter holds that record for the Olivier's, and we all thought that that was going to be the story of the year for for Harry Potter. Interestingly, both of these are British transplants, but uh, Harry Potter was in the last season uh, for the Olivier's, and uh, Angels was in this season for the Olivier's, whereas now they're both competing in the same season in a lot of these categories. So yeah. it's very fascinating. And not for nothing, Harry Potter did have 10 nominations, so it would have yes, yes, yes. tied the old record. Um, so it did very well. It wasn't like, oh, Harry Potter only had three or four. It did very well, too. It just, again, not a ton of high-quality plays this year. Right. I think, yeah, Harry Potter definitely did, you know, did uh, its its fair share in terms of pulling nominations. It's just this sort of surprise that Angels in America became – because it's hard – as a revival, I think people often think it's harder to get noms, certainly in the, in the musical category, you know, whether that has to do with especially, you know, with, with sort of, of the bar having already been set or whatever it is. Um, but but I, I think, you know, if we're going to talk about Harry uh, Harry and uh, Angels for a second, there are some really interesting – there are some really interesting places. I think the story of this year for plays is that you have Harry Potter and Angels in America and then you have Three Tall Women, um, which is sort of any time that there's uh, – or many, many of the times that it's – uh, a Harry Potter nom versus an Angels nom. There's this three tall women underdog that that could surprise. Um, mm-hmm. But I think you know I, I think that the, my my favorite uh, categories to look at with these uh, w- with the Angels versus Harry Potter 
uh, thing going on are the featured uh, actors and actresses uh, because you have on the featured actor side you have Nathan Lane who is you know probably Broadway's favorite son like it's like he he is uh, one of if not the yeah. um, you know most favorite Broadway actors of you know our time and despite his domination of so many roles in in his long career. I saw the show, and I think other people who've seen it agree that his Roy Cohen is maybe his best yet. But then you have Anthony Boyle, who won the Olivier in uh, won the Olivier when it was in London, I believe, and uh, is a total newcomer to to Broadway. Who um, is the heart of Harry Potter, which is this monstrous show that we all expect to run forever. And it's really interesting. It's this this competition is really interesting. Do you vote for Nathan, who is, you know is a is a veteran in the industry, giving maybe his best performance uh, to date, or this newcomer who is you know an amazingly talented actor who's at the heart of the future of you know of <laughs> the of the, at least the lyric theater, you know, uh, for for a very long time. And then in the featured actress category, you have. Uh, uh, and I'm, I, you know, Leslie Odom Jr. paused when he announced this name, and and he's good. He will have done it much better than me. I can, Do, I can get this one for you if you want. I've been practicing uh, go, for today on Broadway. It's uh, Noma Dumaswini. Noma Dumaswini. Did, did I do that right? Yeah. Noma Dumaswini. All right. So, so, or at so least that's Noma... how that's how Leslie pronounced that. I'd been saying Dumaswini. Um. So I think if we get close, we'll be fine. Right. So so um so Noma Dumaswini as Hermione is uh, you know a powerhouse performance British uh, you know was in the original British cast and then you have Denise Goff who won the Olivier uh for this year for playing Harper Pitt uh, also is coming off of uh, a sort of tour de force performance uh, at St. Anne's Warehouse for People Places and Things which obviously is not part of the Tony discussion, but it, she's sort of becoming a powerhouse actress to look out, you know, to, for, for Americans to look out for. And this is sort of, you know, these are two sort of on paper, exactly the same actress, right? Uh, both from London, both Olivier winners for their roles in these respective uh, categories, and both people who I think the industry hopes will stick around and act uh, for us for a very long time. So uh, it, it's it, it's it's really fascinating um, to, to to think about how how that might go, and it's also fascinating to think about how potentially in voters' minds the the featured actor and featured actress may interact. Right? It's it's there. I I think for a majority of voters, their decision will be between an Angels actor and a Harry Potter actor. Really? Uh, See, that's that surprises me just because. Of Laurie Metcalf being in the featured actress category, and you mentioned the three tall women yeah. underdog there. I just feel like she is such a a presence in in our community. And coming off, this is her third Tony nomination in a row. Uh, first for Misery, then she won for Adult House Part Two last year, and now for Three Tall Women, which is really in terms of I got not original because it's a revival, but productions that didn't transfer like this is the thing that i think a lot of people are right. talking about so i would i would have thought that she would at least be a co-front runner um in there with those other two women and no offense to susan brown and deborah finley but right. um you know I, I would have thought that that she would have been up there at least with those other two if not slightly ahead of one or the other 
You know, I think the thing about Laurie Metcalf is no doubt it's a phenomenal performance. No doubt she will attract votes. It's still early. You know, we don't know. And, and one thing that I talked about yesterday when I, when I was writing about this stuff is that knowing Scott Rudin, Three Tall Woman is going to have one hell of a Tony campaign. So there's always that. But I, I, feel like, I feel like voters are going to want to award Three Tall Women. I feel like the places where, it's, where they are most likely to do that are in lead actress for um, Glenda, Glenda Jackson. Just give it to her now. Uh, right. I mean, I, I truly think that Lauren Ridloff will, uh, you know, in another year would be a huge contender. And I think, you know, were, were there transparency of votes, I don't think that there would be a negligible amount of votes that, that go to her. Because um, for a non-speaking role, she is unbelievable. But I think Glenda Jackson, uh, you know, it, it, there's, yeah. there's no question. So that's that's the case. And then I think that if we're going to talk about where the three, three tall women could pull a major upset over the Harry Angels, uh, you know, powerhouse, it, it would be <laughs> that would be a good Mantella. show. Oh, I say Harry yeah, yeah, Angels Harry would be Angels. really good too. Right. But yeah, um, with with Joe Mantello. Okay. I think Joe. I think with Joe Mantello. And and so I've only seen Harry Potter in London, and I am going in New York um, at the end of the month, and I saw it really early on. So I remember the set being like out of this world, but and I'm and as I sort of say this, I think I'm standing by that that it's out of this world and and cannot be topped, but. I will say that the scene design of Three Tall Women is sort of the you know, if you haven't seen it yet, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's sort of the 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 moment for that show. And so it's possible. I think as I rethink about the set of, of Harry Potter, it's sort of in an insurmountable feat. Um, but but I I think Joe Mantello has a has a has a chance. Uh, I think Glenda Jackson has is almost a sure thing, and I just think that I just think that voters will want to reward one of these two powerhouse newcomers who came in from their from their British uh, productions and are giving you know just as solid of a performance now as ever. Um, the only chance that that might not be the case is if people just can't decide which one of them to vote for, and then. Those split to the point where Laurie Metcalf just ha- you know has more votes than the other two com- than the other two individually, but I but I really think uh, if I if I had to guess today and and I and yeah we're gonna do know, this take, for all the big categories take, take this as it will but if I had to guess today I would guess that Denise will win featured actress and that Anthony Boyle will win featured actor I think that because of Denise's I think that because she did, she she was the lead in a, a play that most people saw at St. Anne's that was, and her performance was just stunning. Beloved, yeah, that might like help her just be more salient. And I'm not saying they're giving her the award for that performance, but I just think that when you when you've seen her do a lead role that knocked your socks off, you enter the theater at Angels and and your eye just sort of zooms in on her. And in Harry Potter, there's so much else. You know, there's sort of sensory overload with <laughs> with the art with, with 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 real artistry, but um, and I just think that it'll make Denise a more sort of salient performance in the in the minds of these voters. Well, let me and, ask let, let me ask yeah. you, going off of that, then we saw that in the featured actress in a play category with Denise Guff being honored in 
the some of the awards that look at both Broadway and off Broadway for both, like you said, Angels in America and People, Places and Things. We're seeing that in the best featured actress in a musical category as well with Ashley Park, who is not only one of the Plastics and Mean Girls nominated for a Tony, but she also was the lead of one of, if not the most uh, kind of critically acclaimed off Broadway musicals of the year with K-pop. Do you think that translates for this category as well, to me, she is less of a favorite in that category. To me, I think that category is all but locked up. Um, yeah. But do you think that that might aid her as well? Not necessarily because people are looking at it in totality, but just kind of recognizing that the parts she played in those two shows are so different, it might right. enhance their appreciation for what she's doing as Gretchen in Mean Girls. So that the last thing you said about maybe them sort of having a baseline uh, understanding of, of who she is after seeing her in K-pop and then realizing that, no, that that's her acting. That could help her. That said, as nominated and acclaimed as K-pop was, uh, it, was a monst- it was a monstrous musical, immersive. The, the cast was, I don't know, at least 12, uh, if not more. Uh, I think probably many more. And I don't Unlike People, Places, and Things, where Denise Goff is on the stage the entire time and you are sitting there and you are watching her, Ashley Park, though phenomenal in K-pop, was it was the takeaway when you left the theater from K-pop was not oh that Ashley Park is amazing. It was oh that production was you know was sure. was astounding. And so I, I just don't think that it will do. I don't think that that will do as much. I, I think. Um, so you, you, I, I assume that your that your thought is that uh, Lindsay Mendez will will walk away with with that category. Um, yeah, it, it is. Even though I, I I hesitate to talk about these things because I saw Carousel and My Fair Lady early in their preview mm-hmm. process, so I recognize that things change, and I adore Lindsay Mendez. She has been one of my favorites for years, going back to Godspell, and then a bunch of YouTube videos, and then it, her Wicked. That's one of the few broadway.com vlogs that i've actually watched but um uh so i love her i just i didn't get much from her or that show when i saw it early in previews and same thing for my fair lady but to an even higher degree because that was not good when i saw it but um but but i think just the writing on the wall is that Lindsay mendez has this all but sewn up at this point so yeah well i agree so i saw carousel um at some point during previews as well. And it really, I had the same reaction as you. The whole thing just, I, I, I sort of liked it in its parts, but the whole thing just didn't add up to the sum of, of you know, yeah. it just didn't add up to, uh, to much. Um, clearly being the most nominated music, uh, revival of the season, that wasn't the case. You know, that wasn't the way people saw it. And I do think that she, I, I think that a lot of people in the industry feel the way about Lindsay Mendes as you do, which is that she's sort of, you know, one of these uh, Broadway sweethearts who she was an alphaba. She um, has consistently been working, and this is her. This is sort of her role. Ashley Park. So yesterday, when I when I crunched all the numbers for the really first time, because that's when I know who to crunch the numbers for. Um, and just to to preface this, in case you haven't, because this is your this is your intro to to my talking about the Tonys. The way I look at these things is based on uh, based on sort of data from the last twenty five years of, uh, of of the Tonys, uh, and then as well 
um, filtering that and and enlighten using my industry knowledge to 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 look at that through through an angle that's not all numbers. And so sometimes I disagree with the math is is the point of that. And so yesterday uh, when I crunched numbers, Ashley Park was in the lead to win uh, featured actress, and I think that was for two reasons. The first is that I think some of her previous nominations, which is part of the the sort of way that the formula works, were you know at least the Drama League Award, for example, was uh, uh, was an under uh, was granted to her uh, for both both performances. And the second, although this doesn't really factor in very much because uh, this is a sort of whole other topic, but there's this you know the splitting votes thought that people have is not always the case, right? And I think this is going to be an example where it's not the case, but you had two nominate two nominees from Carousel, which uh, a little bit weakens Lindy, Lindsay Mendes's um, position. Uh, that said, I think this is a perfect case where it's not going to matter that Renee Fleming got a nomination. I don't see enough voters really believing that Renee Fleming was the breakout featured actress performance um, she got it because she got the nomination because she's because uh, she's Renee Fleming. I think it's yeah, and 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 here's you know what's interesting about this category, and I and and I love all these performances so dearly. But what's interesting about this category is that I Ariana DeBose, Diana Rigg, and Renee Fleming um, really aren't in the running in my eyes. I think that yeah. they were all given the nod uh, because of their careers and because this performance is uh, in line with the way that they've been performing for their whole career. Diana Ring is on stage for like eight minutes and doesn't sing. I mean, at least Tony Shalhoub in the uh, Best Lead Actor in Musical Actor, he sings with other people. Diana Rigg got a nomination for a musical in which she doesn't open her mouth to sing once. I I mean, come on, man. I I personally, I mean, I I don't think that should have been a nomination. I knew it was going to happen because yeah, of course I I predicted uh, it too. I mean, but, but like, but it just. I mean, you're right, and I think you know, there was there was a lot of other talent that could have used that nomination. I, I mean, uh, you know, she's a dame. She doesn't need a Tony nomination. Right. I would have been fine if this category was Lindsay Mendez and four people from Mean Girls. Well, that, right. So, that, so, 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 talking about sort of this is probably the category. Be, granted that. Uh, or given that those three nominations, Anna Ray, Renee Fleming, and Ariana DeBose were were all are all people that giving great performances or have given great great enough performances to warrant it, but but really aren't in the running. I think you know this is a this is a this is a category where a lot of people wanted to see a Once on this Island nod for either Kanita R. Miller, Kinoda, yeah, Salonga, or Leia, yeah, yeah, or, Le- or Leia Salonga. Um, uh, I there's there was also four sort of decently possible nominations from Mean Girls. One of them happened with Ashley Park, but then there was Carrie Butler, Kate Rockwell, and Barrett Wilbur Weed, who were all not impossible to be nominated. Uh, because they've all they've all gotten nominations in some of the other awards. Right. So you really did, as I was trying to, uh, I sent it to you before the nominations came out, just so I had it on the record. As I was trying to pick my predictions, like I went back and looked at what had already been nominated, especially for Mean Girls. I was like, Okay, uh, I don't know what to pick because there's it. It really is completely right. Um, everybody's been looked at at one point. Yeah, and then you know, uh, you know, sort of a sore subject uh, for me be, being a producer on Escape to Margaritaville. But I do think that that if we were going to get a nomination, this was our 
uh, best chance because I think that they're I think Lisa Howard is giving a phenomenal phenomenal performance and I think that uh, she is well uh, liked in the industry. Yeah, she's and, another one who's had a great career that could have gotten the nod right. because of how just fantastic she's been for years. Right. And so I think, you know, interesting how this worked out, fascinated by how it worked out. Um, I would have expected at least one other performance that really could have really could have been I don't want to say worth talking about, but, you know, uh, in contention, I think the the ones that would have been most in contention would have been a once on this island nod uh, or another Mean Girls nod. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I will say this is so I think this is the best thing that could have happened to Mean Girls because there was an article that came out, I think, in the post uh, over the weekend that was talking about, you know, the, <laughs> the ca- this, campaigning. Yeah, this and article said, made me mad. Yeah. And they they said and, I you know, I can't speak to the validity of this, but they said and it seemed like from a from, it seemed like this was official information uh, that the production was backing uh, based on the way they worded it was that um, actually – the actors and actresses from Mean Girls uh, on top of the production press agents were uh, hiring press representatives to, for, you know, to book them during the campaign. And the way it was worded, and I, I don't remember the exact wording, but it, it sort of made it seem like the production was behind it and was going to help them out with that. Well, you know, I don't think that would have been a great strategy because if you look at historically and this goes back to that question of splitting the votes if you look at historically the productions that have that have faltered because of split votes it's the productions that can't decide who to put who to make the face of the category yeah. um so if you look at something like um if you look at a production like Hamilton which had three nominations in featured actor David Diggs uh um Jonathan Groff and Chris, Jackson. Uh, and Chris Jackson, the only one of the three who was really taking press was David Diggs. Um, and I think that helped because the production, the production was beloved and that's why it did so well. And those performances were amazing too, but you run the risk with a beloved, with a production that's as beloved as that you run the risk of people throwing votes towards the production without real care as to who they're voting for, and you need a you need a strategic press strategy to say, this guy over here or this girl over here is the one that we're put, making the face of of the production for this category. So, so I think it could have been a good. I think this actually can can work out for to to benefit them. Yeah, well, and and we're we're getting way far afield on some of these things, but it's not unusual for these people to have their own press agents. I talk to you know these people all the time about you know booking people for these runs, but I do think it's interesting as to how it plays into conjunction with the show's uh, Tony strategy as well. But all right, here's a couple things um, since we've gone so far down the rabbit hole. Here's some things that I want (laughs) to ask you about. Um, The best leading actress in a musical category was weird. I got all five of my predictions right. So I was feeling very good, except for they added a sixth person into this category. What that means is that there was a tie of either two or three people for one of the last two spots, depending on if it was two or three. So they got a sixth nomination is we don't know who the sixth person or technically fifth and sixth or fourth, fifth and sixth, depending on what the tie was, who those people are. So we don't know. I did see um, Taylor Latterman put out a video yesterday saying that she was very very thankful that they made a six spot to include her i personally don't believe she would have been one of the last people to be completely yeah. honest with you but an interesting thing not something you can really predict 
but something that is still nonetheless a nice little historical blip that doesn't really necessarily mean anything other than that there's one more person in that category. Right. It means that the I mean, and, and it's purely mathematical. They didn't decide to nominate six. It was, uh, you know, the rule is that if there are three or fewer uh, votes uh, between, you know, the the sixth and the fifth uh, most voted for or a tie, they, they will uh, open up. You know they will allow the sixth uh, nominee. So yeah. they, but but it, but it is cool, and and it also you know it's a category that sort of needed it. If you look at these nominees, man, it was tough. N- none of them were ones that you would say shouldn't be on there, but there are still ones that you that you probably would say could have been on there. Um, and the yeah, fact speaking that speaking of the frozen, you know, right? Stuff exactly. Further. All right, so let's um, a couple things here. We wanted to talk about. Um, with kind of the weirdness now that the sound design for both a play and a musical are back in and how those are now judged as well as orchestrations. I know you want to talk about that because this isn't normally how Tony's are decided. These are a little different than most. Right. So, so what happens now is that these three categories, sound is the two sound design categories and orchestrations are voted on by X, by people who have expertise in those fields, as opposed to being open to the, the, you know, being open to the full uh, Tony voting committee to vote on their ballot. What's, what's particularly interesting about that is that none of my research is based on, this new process. So there's a question as to how well my, you know, my formulas will uh, perform this year. This is especially the case for sound design because sound design was a newer award in the first place, which has not been uh, an award for some time now, four years or so. Um, And now it's coming back with new rules. So it's already a very small sample size of, of historical performance in these categories, and that small sample size is based on a completely obsolete uh, voting mechanism. So I, I, you know, I'm sort of excited about these because they're really going to come down to just, I think, a crapshoot for me. And and I, and I guess I, you know, I, I think if we want to talk about them, I, I think for sound design of a musical, I, I'm leaning towards uh, either SpongeBob uh, because the sound design, those people really got the world the sonic world of a saturday morning cartoon to exist on stage uh in terms of you know sound effects and and stuff like that and then the band's visit i think also has a shot because there's a uh, an ensemble of actors who also are, who are on stage playing um that the, the, they're an active klezmer uh style band and i think that i expect that experts in the field will will sort of feel the value of that and then I think in sound design of the play, it's about uh, Harry Potter versus Angels again. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know which of those is going to win, to be quite honest. Yeah. Now, just real quick, because we've been talking enough now. Yeah. Um, but I do – there's there's talk about adding other Tony categories, which then you get more shows getting more nominations, which is totally fine. But Actors' Equity is pushing for a Best Ensemble uh, Award, which I think would be easy to judge because I want to keep it in this conversation. If they do that, totally fine. Understand the normal Tony nominators and voters can pick best ensemble. But the other one that you're seeing a lot of people talk about, especially online is music directors. Now, as somebody who I feel like I know a decent amount about, you know, Broadway musicals and about music, I still don't think that I would be uh, comfortable judging music direction because that's even less obvious than something like orchestrations or sound design. So if they did this, it would have to be, in my opinion, something that a 
panel of experts um, weighed in on as opposed to the whole collective of 841 Tony voters. Do you have any thoughts on that or do you think this is something that has any legs as a movement to try to be recognized? I will tell you that I do not know how you would evaluate that. So, I mean, it's not at all up to me, but I would say that if if I were uh, among the people making this decision, I would sort of leave it to like – do you people, the people who eventually would be voting on it, the experts, feel like this is something that you can actually make like a merit-based decision on? And if they say yes, then sort of believe them. Um, there, there, are, there are some complications with all these things. You know, I know equity is trying to do a chorus and ensemble. One thing to think about is how – well, I think there are two things to think about. The first is I am very skeptical that the Tony voters would actually parse out their decision on best chorus and and or best ensemble with best play or best musical. To me, it it, seems, it feels very unlikely that you would see much in the way of different decisions, right? It might be once in a blue moon, but I just don't think there's going to be historical significance in terms of people who actually say, this ensemble was, was great, but that play, but this other play was better. Um, so that's A. Uh, but B is that that you can't be simultaneously uh, for the same role in two different categories, right? You can't be a lead and a featured. So things would have to be rewritten because obviously you'd be eligible for the ensemble if you were also uh, a featured actor. The only, the only other caveat that I think you would have to do there, and I think it addresses your last point, would be that these would not be individual awards. So I don't think – an ensemble member would then be a Tony winner. I think you would have to do it to where the production got the award. Um, And I think two, my two best examples of why these things are needed, unfortunately is poo pooed by your point about people voting for the ensemble and chorus also voting for the production, but something like Hamilton, that ensemble deserves to be recognized. Of course, that one best uh, musical as well. And then the chorus, or I don't know what the difference, whatever, um, the group of people that would have been recognized for something like Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Yes, that show also won Best Play, but they were doing something spectacular uh, sure. in support of the bigger show. So I definitely have – I have no problem. I Look, I've on record – give people awards. I don't care about the validity of previous records, whatever. Give people awards. Recognize as many people as possible. But I, I think for things like this, kind of to keep some of those rules that you mentioned intact in – Give them to the production. Let the people say they were a member of a Tony winning right. ensemble or chorus, but don't actually give all thirty-two people in the in the chorus, you know, make them Tony winners. I think that's what you would have to do. While we're talking about this, and I'm I'm curious if you've heard this. I believe this is Oliver, uh, you know, Oliver Roth's official endorsement of. I believe that there should be a best stage play award uh, yes. in addition to the best play. We have it in musicals. You get the 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 uh, the playwrights and and composers get you know a separate score and book nomination uh, and the best musical category is for the production. I think that there should be a playwriting award given to the best Script stage play of the or year. whatever. Yeah, um, because because like uh, as a contrary to what to what you just said, but but as a good example are these epic plays. There was no way that Curious Incident or War Horse or any of these epic plays was were going to lose best play because it's about the best production that I mean, I'm not saying they weren't, but that doesn't mean they were the best underlying script. You know, there were a lot of really great dramas, maybe a, maybe a two hander that was really pointed. 
that would never compete with a huge production in best play, but I think it would have a chance at competing with that if there was a, a separate stage play category. Right, because the best play technically is awarded to the author. So um, the author and production, yeah. author and production. I'm sorry, yeah. So I mean, it is technically all, uh, given to the writer, even though it is not just recognizing the writer's work. So Simon Stevens, who wrote *Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime*, he was given a Tony for that best production, but that was. I mean, no offense to Simon Stevens. I like the show. That win was as much about Marion Elliott's direction and the design and everything as it was for his script. So I'm I'm totally on board with that. Put the ensemble and chorus stuff in there. Put the music director stuff in there. Put the script in there. I'm totally fine um, with all of that. So, Oliver, I'm going to give you a second to prep this, but I want to know what your predictions are in some of these bigger categories here as of now, knowing that things sure. change and the more data points you get. But before that, I do want to just kind of throw some numbers out at people. Depending on how certain people uh, choose to self-identify, I'm not going to say whether they are consider themselves people of color or not, but you could get anywhere from, uh, if you're looking at the performance former nominations, you have anywhere from 11, maybe 12, 13 of the 39 performance categories were occupied by people of color. So that's uh, about a third. So that's interesting to note. In the play category, two of the five uh, playwrights nominated um, are women. Two of the five people nominated uh, in that category are people of color. Um, Then if you go to Best Book of a Musical, two of the four people nominated are women. Um, In Direction of a Play uh, category, only one woman and only one person of color. Direction of a Musical, only one woman and no people of color. And then the book, or uh, in the score, it gets a little wonky because there's a bunch of people. But you do have um, Adrian Sutton, who wrote the music for Angels in America. Then you have Kristen Anderson Lopez, who co-wrote Frozen with her husband. You have Nell Benjamin, who wrote the lyrics for Mean Girls. And then you have a gazillion people for SpongeBob, um, including a a, a number of women. I'm not going to parse that one out for you. But just for some of the equality representation here, not in line with what it was maybe in 2016 when you had Color Purple and Hamilton dominating a lot of those um, categories with people of color, but also not nothing. I mean, when you say a third of all Mm -hmm. of the performers nominated were people of color, I don't know what that means in terms of the overall demographics. And I don't think that the national demographics should dictate the demographics on Broadway by any means, but it's not an insignificant number, especially because a lot of the shows that were recognized were not necessarily shows that were about, you know, race or required race. Mm -hmm. I mean, probably once on this Island, but they only had one nomination. Um, So it's not uh, a year like Hamilton where everybody in this Epic show was a person of color or the color purple. So it's an interesting way to look at this season. Yeah. Not necessarily the biggest, but not necessarily the worst either. Yeah, for sure. All right. So I want to go through these awards. I just let's, want let's the name. If you want to give me two names because you're torn, um, that's fine. But I no, just want to run through. Yeah, go ahead. Let's play the game if, you know, and and let's play the game, you know, day one guesses. I, I like I like sure. this game. Well, we'll, right. well, let's do it. All right. So um, I think we're both in agreement with best featured actress in a musical as Lindy, Lindsay Mendez, correct? Yes. Okay, Best Featured Actor in a Musical. Who do you got? The nominees are Gray Henson, Alexander Gimignani, Ariel Stachel, Gavin Lee, and Norbert Leo Butts. Who do you got? I got Norbert. He's just – he he's – I mean he just – like it's his – Tony he's winning Norbert. is his job. Yeah, he's uh, Norbert. Uh, That's um, a win. Okay. But I think – yeah. 
I agree. I, although I do think Ariel Stachel has a a, a shot as well. Uh, all right. Best featured actor in a play. Anthony Boyle, Brian Tyree Henry, David Morse, Michael Sarah, and Nathan Lane. You said Boyle, uh, Boyle or Lane earlier. Yeah, I'm going to go with Boyle. Okay. Uh, best featured actress in a play. As you said, you think it's going to come down to Noma Dumaswini and uh, Denise Goff. Who you got? I got Denise. Okay, fair enough. I like that. Um, okay, going over to the leading categories. Best leading actress in a play. Amy Schumer, Condola Rashad, Glenda Jackson, Lauren Ridloff. Give it to the dame, right? Yeah, it's going to be Glenda Jackson. Okay, leading actor in a play. Andrew Garfield, uh, Denzel Washington, Jamie Parker, Mark Rylance, Tom Hollander. Three of those men already have Tonys. Uh, who do you think is walking away with the one this year? I think I think it's going to be Andrew Garfield. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think so too. Um I, I think that's I don't think it's gonna that's be a hard close. that's a hard category. But it I think is. it's gonna be Andrew Garfield. It is, but when you look at the when you look at the reviews, Denzel got good reviews, but he also got some not great reviews. Jamie Parker, I just don't see that role winning it. Mark Rylance got some not so great reviews uh for Farinelli and Travis. He's, he's got enough. Anyway, the the only the only thing I'll bring up here is that it might be and I haven't really looked, but it might be the place that if they want to give Travis Deese the award because I've heard Tom, Tom Hollander is yeah. very good. But I, yeah. I think it's going to be Garfield. Yeah. All right. Uh, best leading actress in a musical. This is the one with six. We have LaShawn's, Haley Kilgore, Jesse Mueller, Katrina Link, uh, Lauren Ambrose and Taylor Louderman. This is uh, pretty much a done deal, isn't it? No, I'm going to go with the unpopular decision. No, you're, no I, don't do I, it. Don't do I, it. I, I'm going to tell you, say right now, and I, I will. I, I'm, I'm recording. You know, I'm recording, right? I, I, I'm saying this right now. We'll see how this changes. I actually think Lauren Ambrose might pull off an upset. If Lauren Ambrose wins this award, I will pull out whatever remaining hair I have on my head. I'm shocked at you um, saying this. I, and I think the only reason you can say this is because you don't have the data points because uh, the band's visit wasn't able to well, be nominated no, I'll, this I'll year. I'll tell you, I mean, Katrina Lang is clearly the favorite. If they do a good job, I think that there is a – Katrina Lang is great. Lauren Ambrose, and I know you saw it early, but Lauren oh. Ambrose shocked me. She has yeah, – me too. Um, but yeah, yes, she shocked me in a very delightful way. Oh, and yeah. I mean, look, Katrina Link's going to win the award. I think Lauren Ambrose might give her a run for her money in a way that no one's expecting. Okay. If, if you would have asked me I, if Taylor Louderman would have been in the featured actress category, I very well might have picked her over Lindsay Mendez. Not for nothing. Mm. Um, okay. Best leading actor in a musical. Uh, we have Ethan Slater, Harry Hayden Patton, Joshua Henry, and Tony Shalhoub. And I'm just going to say this before you do. I think SpongeBob is going to win. So here's the deal. I think Ethan has a shot. I also think Joshua Henry because uh, it feels like it might be his year. And I, I've heard some rumors – and I haven't been to SpongeBob since the second preview, but I've heard some rumors that Ethan's showing signs of a little bit of, of wear and tear from <laughs> How could he not? Uh, yeah. from from doing that SpongeBob voice eight sh- times a week since mm. you know how whenever it opened, and That's I have to sort of I have to sort of check on that, but I just and I'm sure that he's you know on vocal rest getting ready for these Tony voters to be in the house, but. I just – if that's true, I wonder if that will hurt him at all. That's true. I saw the show in late March and he sounded great. He was fantastic. But I can oh, see both vocally great. and physically how that yes. show could be a doozy uh, over the course of a long run. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the, the production categories. Let's do it. Best revival of a play, Angels in America, Lobby Hero, which I really, really enjoyed Lobby Hero, but it's not going to win. The I Ice Man Cometh. Week. Yeah, it's, it, I really enjoyed it. It's small. It's simple. But even though it's a decade or 15 years old, it really is – 
poignant in today's society. But anyway, Angels, Lobby Hero, Iceman, Three Tall Women, or Travesties. This one seems like a no-brainer, but I'm not sure. It's it's Angels unless Three Tall Women yeah. can, does some you know miracle work in the next six weeks. Yeah. All right. Best Revival of a Musical, which I think is probably the most competitive of any of the production categories. You have Carousel. My Fair Lady, Once on This Island, I will go on record saying I don't know if it's going to win. But, man, of these three, I sure hope Once on This Island wins. So if you asked me yesterday, I would have said My Fair Lady. But I think today I'm going to go out and say Once on This Island because um, I'm starting to realize that Carousel and My Fair Lady are too similar of revivals. And I think Once on This Island has more to work with when it comes to – you know, compel a compelling campaign. I yeah. think once in this island, we'll, we'll take it. I hope so. Um, okay, best play: Farinelli and the King, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, Junk, The Children, and Latin History for Morons. I mean, I think you are a moron if you pick yes. anything other than Harry Potter. This is a no-brainer. It'll go to Harry Potter. It's probably the the, the most sure thing of the of the year. Okay, you say that, but I think this next one is. Uh, well, maybe it's not. I don't know. Frozen, best musical, mean, yeah, best musical, Frozen, Mean Girls, SpongeBob, or the band's visit. I mean, I've been okay. saying, I, I, I've been saying that the band's visit was the 2018 Tony winner for best musical since the Tony Awards at 2017. I, I'm sticking to that, but is there anything to think? No. Yeah, ask me after May 12th when I see it. But okay. I, I, I'm gonna say Mean Girls is gonna take best musical. Whoa. I, I think. Really. I, I am getting the sense. That the band's visit benefited from an onswell of Broadway and pop culture, that the success of it uh, uh, at the box office has a lot to do with the fact that people who uh, missed out or saw Hamilton and then missed out or or, or did see Jeremy Hansen didn't want to miss out on the next big thing. And I mean certainly theater people with a capital T love the show, but I'm worried about – uh, based on the fact that not everyone who bought those early tickets ended up loving it, I, I worry about how they're going to do with the road voters. Mean Girls is a huge title. I hear it's quite good. And I think that it's possible I, – I think David Cromer is going to win the Tony for his direction of the band's visit. I think that the band's visit is going to win best score. I think Tina Fey could win book, and I think that Mean Girls could pull it off. I will say this. I saw the band's visit back in November at the very final preview, so uh, right in line at the same time with all of the critics. The critics liked it a lot more than I did. I liked it. I didn't love it. I wasn't gaga for it. Of the four nominees, Mean Girls was, for me, far and away my favorite. So Well, here's, uh, here's the thing. Yeah, and, and here's the thing about the reviews. I think, the, I think what the band's visit is fighting is that the bar was set really high for it correct and i think look if i hadn't read that ben brantley review before i saw it i would have walked away saying that was the most amazing theatrical piece i've ever seen but i mean I, but i read the but i <laughs> but ben I brantley already said it yeah right but, but exactly but ben brantley literally said that and then i went there and you know the show is beautiful but in a very sort of quiet and still way very purposefully and i think you sit there after reading that review and say Huh. Okay. You know, when is the when is the thing that Ben Bentley raised out going to happen? And I just I just worry, I just wonder what will happen. You know, and, and uh, yeah, psychology is a big part of what I think about. And I just if you think about pleasure equaling the the difference between experience and expectation, whether the experience is better at the band's visit than Mean Girls is the expect is the difference in expectation 
going to do it for Mean Girls, if that makes any that, sense. No, absolutely. I went in same with you. I'd heard so much about the off-Broadway production, and then the previews were so you know ravenously uh, welcomed by the theater intelligentsia that I went in expecting more. And I think that it is a great, phenomenal, wonderful, near-perfect off-Broadway musical, but it's stuck in a thousand seats. Right. You know, and, 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 and again, it good for it, them. I have no uh, problem with them. I, I think it's good. Yeah. But what's the word? Uh, it's, it, I mean, it, it just I don't know what the word is, but like it you know, was a, a crazily successful with the awards off Broadway. It ran the room. I don't, I don't know what the saying is, but it, it it won every award there is to win off Broadway. And I think that a lot of people thought, yeah, it's the perfect off Broadway musical. The question is, when you're talking about the Tonys, you're talking about Broadway, you're talking about a lot of voters that are looking at the shows and are assessing things based on how they would perform in their markets in the middle in middle America or you know elsewhere in America where thing where, where you don't have the Atlantic theater where you know the bands visit originated mm-hmm. from or or the or the type of of uh, of tastemakers that like the stuff that comes that comes out of there or a uh, name like Tony Shaloub involved because I yes. can't imagine Tony's going to tour with it Right. Um, and so I just – right. I mean he's already you know, been, not been even out, of, now. Yeah. Uh, out of the show for filming. So yeah, I just, I just, I just wonder you – know, and I haven't seen Mean Girls, so I can't say for sure, but I just wonder if they're going to pull it off. Well, let me ask you this question, and I, I, we're going way longer than I thought, but we always do. You speak <laughs> this, is of, a, this is an important one, this, this yeah. episode. Well, th- and my question here is we often hear people like, oh, well, the, the bigger things are always going to get the benefit of the doubt because the road presenters who make up a large swath of those 841 people that vote for the Tonys, they want to vote for the bigger things because those play better in Peoria. However, to me, if you're looking at these four nominated best musicals, Frozen's going to be fine. Mean Girls is going to be fine. I think SpongeBob will be fine on the road. To me, you don't need to award the biggest prize to those because they're going to do fine out in the hinterlands without it. To me, I think the band's visit is aided more by giving it best musical than the 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 road presenters would think. Hey, I want to give it to SpongeBob because SpongeBob's something I can sell to kids and families. Yeah. To me, I would I think it would be the opposite that they would want to give the thing that had less likelihood to, to draw in non-theater people and if you slap the the best musical you know emblem over top of a of an ad for the band's visit that might have a better chance of drawing people in who might not otherwise would have gone i have to say that is the best argument i've heard for for the band's visit attracting those votes because i i think you might be right i think that might be that that might that might be what goes through their heads. I wonder how many you know we we always hear the big musicals attract the road presenters. I wonder uh, there is sort of the I don't know potentially um, malicious uh, motivation that we think about, which is that they'll you know they want to vote for the thing that tours better. Right. Uh, I wonder if also part of it though is that they're theater makers from these communities that might just enjoy the bigger musicals better. Right, like, like, are are their tastes in line with their That's programming? Fair. Which, uh, which, you know, which is a good question. But I, I, it's an excellent point. I think the main, I, I don't think it's going to be as much of the road presenters question as it is. Uh, do those road presenters go into the band's visit expecting what they read, Brent, uh, expecting the experience that they, that Ben Brantley had, or has word gotten out that it's a beautiful show, but you can't go off Ben Ben Brantley's review to, you know, to, to for your expectation. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a good point, because I think if you go into Mean Girls expecting, ah, it's just another carbon copy movie to musical adaptation, I think you'll be thoroughly surprised. I can't sing a single note from that score. Uh, none of it is memorable to me. But man, did I have a good time in that show. 
I will also say, and I think this matters, and this is this is this their 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 advertising campaign is unmissable, Phenomenal. Mean Girls, yeah. and and who knows what they'll do to step it up, at, you know, now that they're in in Tony season. But you cannot walk five blocks in in Manhattan and and not see some amazing advertising for it. There, I mean, there are buyouts of Grand Central. Um, they're in Street. yeah, they're, yeah, in 42nd Street. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Um, which I think is mostly a decision because they want to, they want to capitalize on the brand and getting, yeah. you know, people to come see the show. But I do think it'll help, right. Uh, uh keep just the, the show in the minds of, of voters yeah. as well. And not for nothing. They are using a tweet that I sent uh, in their ad campaign. So if you go over to the 42nd Street station, you can really? find uh, a tweet from me in there. Yeah. But also I, have I to think. Look at yeah, so that's in there. Um, you know, they didn't put my blue check mark in there, but whatever. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not bitter. Um, but also, I think they have an ace up their sleeve in terms of this Tony season, and that's Tina Fey. Um, for as great as David Yazbek is, nobody knows who David Yazbek is if you're not one of, you know, the insiders in the community. And as big as Tony Shalhoub is, he's only in the show part time right now. And he's still not Tina Fey, <laughs> you know, right. Tina Fey can go out and campaign and schmooze and do all of those things that we associate with the Tony season and right. glad hand people. And if she's not one of the most charming and funny and compelling people in the world, I don't know who is. So, again, I'm not saying that necessarily there's anything wrong with that. I think campaigning is is completely fine. It's how the system works. So I do right. think that that's something a little tick in their favor that I would not be upset at all if ended up tipping it over. Yeah, I'm. I mean, the band's visit is in a is in a tricky. And I I said this on on the podcast a few uh, episodes ago. It, they're in a tricky situation because usually it's like the little engine that could like fun home versus this you know big title American in Paris. Um, you know, or I think the other example I gave was like Mary Poppins and Spring Awakening. I think were the, the two yeah. of of that season. And like this is the sort of pattern that the industry is used to. What the band's visit is in a weird position because it's the little musical but it's the one that came into the season with the biggest That's uh true. That's true. you know the biggest uh i don't know expectations buzz. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah the biggest buzz so they have to re i mean they have the hardest job of the campaign season and i cannot wait to figure out to see how they um treat it yeah and not for nothing i i feel like there's deeper pockets behind mean girls than there is for the band's visit yeah and and just more resourceful pockets i mean you know uh, lauren michaels uh whenever you have like a, a tv movie person coming into the industry they bring their connections um well, tina and, fey is hosting the season finale of saturday night live are you telling me there's not going to be one two or 12 mentions of the mean <laughs> exactly. girls musicals you're telling me that the plastics aren't going to show up and perform during her opening monologue come on yeah. now these are no-brainers right um so. but i this is why uh, this is why i get you know excited about this time of year it's 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 awesome to see how these shows uh, work their magic thank you for listening to part one of the O'Henry reports 2018 tony coverage if you have any questions from previous podcasts or ideas for the next one tweet me at oliver henry roth you can find the O'Henry report on broadwayworld.com itunes stitcher TuneIn and google play Basically, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts, we're there. Be sure to follow Broadway World on Facebook and on Twitter, at Broadway World for updates. You can find all of my Tony coverage on the web at www.ohenryproductions.com. You can also find me on Twitter, at Oliver Henry Roth, and on Facebook, at O'Henry Productions. From myself, 
and the rest of the O'Henry Report and Broadway World staff. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon for more coverage of the 2018 Tony Awards.